Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and after this, shawarma. <laughs> All right. Stick around <laughs> for the post credit scene of this episode. Awesome movie, your team. Assemble! <laughs> Jason will be eating shawarma after having saved the world. And uh, first, though, we are going to kick off our season on the films of 2012. Uh, as we always begin our season with the box office champion. And in this case, it is the Avengers from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the box office champion of eternity at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. really. <laughs> right. I mean, this thing set so many records, right? When it came out, third highest grossing film of all time, highest opening weekend of any film, highest opening week of any film. You know, you could just keep going. IMAX 3D gross. Just every day, I seeing superhero film, just like a, a new record every day. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was a very successful movie. To to be specific, it did. It grossed one point five one nine billion dollars uh, on its budget, allegedly of two hundred and twenty five million. Which for a movie like this is actually not even that. I feel like I would have expected it to be higher. So very profitable film uh I, that for marvel i mean I so much that's got i mean robert downey jr made 50 million off this thing right so good for him you know never had to work uh, again um <laughs> and yet he did josh yeah and yet well, he did debatable uh, what is the number where you don't have to work again <laughs> do you think i feel like it's under 50 million for me I could handle for it. you, but you're like a single old curmudgeon who lives like under. A Are you bridge saying you need a... fifty million dollars to to raise your child and uh, eat well? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to turn it down if you're off. Well, I'm not but... going to turn it down. I'm saying that it would uh, require less than that for me to feel like I was set and I didn't have to. Yeah, no, I'm just wondering what the number is, you know, for for each person because, uh, you know, recently my brother was in town and and he was saying, oh, fifty million dollars. No, but he's got a friend, and I think it's like a, a guy, a wife, and three kids, and he's selling like his business for like ten million dollars, and like that's not enough to live on. And I'm like, well, where, what world are you in? What crazy world are you in? Where that's not enough to live in? Yeah, I mean, I could see with the three kids, and if they want to leave something, maybe. But yeah, I, I, I think if I had ten million, I, I'd feel pretty good. I'd feel pretty. Well, sad. Tony Stark has more than that. He does. Tony Stark is a billionaire. Uh, he has more money than Robert Downey Jr. as well. <laughs> um, this movie was nominated for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, and it lost to Life of Pi, which I thought was an interesting... Uh, I agree with that pick. For Best Visual Effects, Life of Pi had amazing visual effects. It did, it did. But I guess that's not... Like, you think of these movies as sort of the definitive special effects movies of our time or whatever, and Life of Pi was a literary adaptation. There were no superheroes in it. But I mean, I'm with you that the special effects in that movie were great and they were fitting for the story. But it just was an interesting kind of dichotomy, I thought. And Josh, you bring up the effects in these films, which uh, we might uh, have a fair argument to say they've gotten worse in the last 10 years, not better. That is potentially an argument that we can make later talking about the legacy of this. Uh, this was the sixth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Prior to this, several of the Avengers had had their own movies. 
Iron Man had two movies before this, played by Robert Downey Jr., one Thor movie starring Chris Hemsworth, one Captain America movie starring Chris Evans, and one movie for the Hulk, which starred Edward Norton, who uh, declined to appear in this film and was replaced. It was a classic. He didn't decline, did he? He, he, they just, you know, it's Edward Norton. There were ongoing negotiations and they couldn't come to terms, let's say. Yeah, but but I uh, think he was the one who like walked away from it. Like he didn't want to do it because... He wanted. He more. wasn't getting Downey Jr. money. I, I, I don't. You know what? I, I should have maybe looked up all the details, but I think it was less about that and more about creative control. That he's someone who's very hands on in that way. And as we know about the Marvel movies, even the directors often don't have creative control. Right. Right. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. So yeah. it's just guy in sweatshirt who controls everything. Yes. Kevin Feige. Kevin, Fe- Kevin Feige <laughs> in his baseball cap, masterminding it all. He's done a great job. He has. He has. So uh, Norton was out. Ruffalo was in. Uh, Ruffalo does a good job here. I think not that it would have uh, been. It's kind of interesting to imagine how this would have gone with Edward Norton. But I, I think Ruffalo does it well. I think so. There might have been one or two. Well, no, there are just as many like. I mean, you're t- looking at angsty monologue guys. These <laughs> these guys both fit that uh, yes that category well. They are so. they are indeed good at doing that. So, in addition to being incredibly successful at the box office, this movie got a lot of really good reviews. Um, all the good reviews assemble. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of these reviews. Are, I mean, it has something like, uh, I think it was 91%, 91 on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which is like extremely high. But, you know, the way Rotten Tomatoes works is it's a binary. So a review that says, this is the greatest movie of all time, and a review that says, yeah, this was all right, are given the same weight. And I feel like a lot of the reviews for this movie, a lot of the positive reviews are begrudgingly positive i guess like sure it does the job i guess would you compare that to the way the oscars are weighted now josh uh i don't think that's quite the same thing with the like ranked choice voting that's not it's i mean you could argue that that's you wouldn't be like new york times review that chooses number one dallas independent news you're number four here no no and it's not like the rotten tomatoes is ranking yeah the critics opinions either it's just that a mildly positive and an extremely positive are given the same weight is what I'm saying on, on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. So well, that's stupid. I mean, that's the way that it works. You can go to Metacritic instead and they take a more nuanced view of it. So Rotten Tomatoes is like those hippie schools where you just have pass fail. Yes. Rotten Tomatoes is a pass fail and Metacritic is giving you a more nuanced grade. And sometimes that means that movies that have high Rotten Tomato scores have lower Metacritic scores. This has been a fascinating discussion right here. This is important for this particular year. This one, all this stuff yeah. starts kicking so, off, right? But all of this is a prelude to saying that I have these reviews from some major critics who theoretically might have been positive, but they don't sound all that positive. So <laughs> Roger Ebert, for example, gave this movie three out of four stars. And he said, these films are all more or less similar. And The Avengers gives us much, much more of the same. There must be a threat. The heroes must be enlisted. The villain must be dramatized. Some personality defects are probed. And then the last hour or so consists of special effects in which large mechanical objects engage in combat that results in deafening crashes and explosions and great balls of fire. The Avengers is done well by Joss Whedon with style and energy. It provides its fans with exactly what they desire. 
Whether it is exactly what they deserve is arguable. Metacritic score, users, 8.0. Metacritic score out of 43 critic reviews, 69. Yeah, so a, a significantly lower rating there. And of course, also Metacritic is much more selective. You say there's 43 critics there. And looking at Rotten Tomatoes, there were something like 350 critics for this movie on Rotten Tomatoes. So they've expanded just like the Academy, huh? Yes. Back to that. They have indeed expanded a lot. Um, and I mean, that's right. Like this is a movie like this has that many reviews. Many, many, many other movies have far fewer than that, but they're, well, they're less selective than Metacritic. One thing that's going to be tough when you read these reviews, Josh, is like, and I think hopefully we try to do this while watching it, is like, it was really exciting when this first came out. But now I, for one, have extreme Marvel fatigue. Uh, my doctor didn't diagnose that, but I have. And uh, it's tough to kind of go back and watch these when you're just like so bored with what a lot of Marvel is doing nowadays. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it is important to remember how unique this was at the time that it came out. And it doesn't feel that way anymore. But the idea of this big superhero crossover as something that in Marvel comic books and in other comic books had been done for decades, but in movies had never been done, was just unheard of. So right now we take it for granted that this is how Marvel works and this is how so many other movie sort of quote universes, universes are, yeah. are attempting to work and and largely failing. But it's like a model to emulate. But at the time, this was not it was something that had never been done before. And it was a huge risk for Marvel to do it because no one knew if it would work. Well, maybe that's why they used the working title Group Hug. <laughs> while filming this to give a, a, a supportive measure to everyone involved. How sweet. How sweet. So Anne Hornaday in the Washington Post was a little more positive. She said, the performances are so well pitched in the Avengers, meshing with such vividness and ease that it's tempting to overpraise the good but not great movie that surrounds them. Probably wisely, Joss Whedon seems to have tamped down his instincts to play up irony and camp. Instead, he focuses on simply making the characters legible and the story easy to follow from the IMAX theater cheap seats, all the while interjecting witty lines and bits of business, from Tony Stark's quippy asides to the literal punchlines the Hulk delivers with a wordless grunt. By tacking so close to audience expectations, Whedon has made a movie that's more efficient than inspired, one that propels the series along and hits the necessary beats without breaking any substantive or stylistic ground. Yeah, I mean, the chemistry uh, uh, in this one, I mean, Downey Jr. is clearly the star of this one. You know, it's a group effort, but he is he's just oozing at this point in time with all that charisma, you know? Um, he is oozing. No, I, man, you're really taking it to him. And I don't know why, but he's like, you know... He's bit like he's the he's the the whole thing here, right? He's the 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 guy you want to see. Sure. And then I think further along, you you know, you get these nice relationships, uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow, and then of course Thor and the Hulk, and like those are expanded, and those chemistries you see bits of in this first one, but they kind of um, really find their footing later on in the series. Yeah, I think you're right, but I I definitely was struck that. It could be easy for them to neglect character in this film. There are so many characters and there's so much plot to get through and you got to have the big action set pieces and 
because these characters have been established in their own movies previously, it's kind of like a shorthand. You don't need to focus on character development. And I thought that Whedon took more care with that than he would have needed to, per se. And I did appreciate that the the moments of the group together and the banter and the sort of backstory explorations and things like that were effective. And there were people in this movie that I could care about and not just special effects. Right. If anyone gets the short end of the stick on that one, it's a villain right there. Like Loki's there and he's like, yeah, I'm Loki. Look at me do bad things. But you're like, okay, Loki, leave me alone now. Like he's not a very, I don't, I like Loki. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's really the villain where you're like, Ooh, we need all the Avengers to get him at this point in time. Right. I think, and it's interesting because I was looking at my review that I wrote at the time this came out. And I complained essentially about that idea because of course, at the time, like right before this, the Thor movie had come out where Loki was the villain. And the idea is like, okay, well he fought one guy in that movie and lost. Like, why does he need to fight six heroes now? Um, and, and so I was, that was my impression at the time, but watching it now, having seen so many Marvel movies with so many crappy villains, that show up with very like sketchy motivations. I appreciated the idea that just like the heroes, this is a character we already were sort of familiar with. So you could have something going into the movie to, to hang on to about him. And I know that Whedon was, you know, from what I've read, like, Hey, how do we make sure that he's a, a bad enough bad guy? But I, I, I hear what you're saying, but, uh, you know, we also had Thanos, and Thanos was a motherfucker, Josh. Right. Well, yeah, and Thanos, who spent like eight movies just saying like something will happen, as he does in the uh, post-credit scene of this movie. Yeah, but then something happened eventually, eventually like so. eight years later or something. Yeah, yes, something did happen at some point. So, uh, A.O. Scott in the New York Times, hey, not really a fan of this film. He said, Scott. the secret of the Avengers is that it is a snappy little dialogue comedy dressed up as something else. That something else being a giant ATM for Marvel and its new studio overlords, the Walt Disney Company. At times, when various members of a game and nimble cast amble in and out of the glassy metallic chambers of a massive flying aircraft carrier, cracking wise, rolling eyes, and occasionally throwing a punch, the movie has some of the easygoing charm of Rio Bravo. The light, amusing bits cannot overcome the grinding, hectic emptiness, the bloated cynicism that is less a shortcoming of this particular film than a feature of the genre. Mr. Whedon's playful, democratic pop sensibility is no match for the glowering authoritarianism that now defines Hollywood's comic book universe. Uh, Josh, why don't you give us a few more comparisons between the Avengers and Rio Bravo? He actually has more about that that <laughs> I kind of cut out so that I could get in a few different points there. So it seems like he was like, uh, I wrote one sentence. Yeah, I'm going to go with this. This is the thesis now, you know, <laughs> I don't know the aircraft carrier. I was finally I was happy when they finally got off that thing. And like, you know, I think, you know, when it when it moved to New York City, it it. it it picked up for me. Yeah, that's true. I, I think I maybe had forgotten how much time they do spend on that aircraft carrier just standing around arguing with each other or whatever. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, they have the the sort of battle in uh, Germany a bit, right, with Loki there. And then there's just a lot of aircraft carriering until the big battle. And they're like the fighting with each they're other. They're fighting with each other, right, as part of that. 
And then which is fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I feel like that's what you got to deliver. And that's also in a way part of what's been lost because now the Marvel universe is just everyone, all the heroes are always buddies with each other all the time. Super friends. Right, exactly. I mean, we had Civil War, but even then, eh. so um, this was something that is common in the comics. I think, you know, it, it was a cliche at a certain point, like every superhero team up is like they fight each other first before saying, wait a minute, we're on the same side. We should team up. There was a lot of like back and forth of like, what's uh, Nick Fury up to? And then we cut to another scene and then another character. We cut back is like, I don't know about this Nick Fury. What's he up to? You know, it was just like, let's just get on with whatever Nick Fury's up to at this point in time. Right. He really wanted to tell us his plan about how he was going to assemble the Avengers. Yes, yes, that is true. But, I, I, you know, again, I feel like part of that is the uniqueness of this that we forget about and that the idea that all of these people from all these other movies are coming together if you weren't a big comic book reader, you might not have sort of been expecting how this was going to go. I don't know. Maybe I'm being. And I was, I was not. Right. You were. Yes, I was. And so I certainly like, and this was exciting because this is a thing that comics have done for decades, like I said, and it was pretty amazing to see a movie do it and pull it off generally pretty well, I think. But um, yeah, it's something that movies had not done and now are doing too much, I think. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. So, Jason, as a non-comic book fan, um, I don't remember. Did you and I see this together in the theater? <sighs> I don't have that marked down in our dual journal, Josh. Yeah, so neither I'm, do I. I'm guessing. I'm guessing we probably did. But you know, um, even by like, uh, like, so I'm thinking like Iron Man one bad guy was who was the bad guy in Iron Man 1 the Jeff original Iron Bridges? Man Bridges Oh yeah Jebediah or yeah, Obadiah Obadiah Stane right, Obadiah Stane. right. Yeah. and Iron Man 2 was Mickey Rourke and um you know with his uh, snake whips right, right. or something Whiplash. like that and uh and yeah. Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer Okay Justin Hammer what a good poor name uh and who was 3 Oh well 3 hadn't come out yet before this um yeah. it was after this but that was uh Guy Pierce Oh, yeah. So I'm not even remembering that one at this point in time. But no, I, 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 by the way, what a ramble I'm on here. Yeah. Where were uh, we going with this? <laughs> I was trying to think of like, had I, I must have seen everything that they had put out up until this point, including the Ed Norton Hulk. Right. So, you know, um, and to this day, I think I've only missed two or three and you might, you've seen them all. But yeah, I saw this in the theater and I liked it and I still like it. It's it's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I also saw it in the theater, maybe with you, maybe not. Um, it was definitely at a Let's press, say yes. It was definitely at a press a press screening because I wrote a review and I remember I had to see it in 3D because as as we talked about last season in our House of Wax episode, this was the height of the 3D boom of the 2010s and every fucking major studio movie got converted into 3d and they always made us see it in 3d for the press screenings so josh you promised you wouldn't mention that last season ever again <laughs> yes jason's it's like the voldemort of seasons right or something that shall not the be season named. that shall not be named right. but uh yeah so i saw it in 3d and i did notice one moment in this movie watching it again this time and i don't know if this is on purpose but there is one point where black widow like points a gun directly at the camera and i was wondering if that was meant to be a a sort of 3D moment, like, uh, you know, we get in 3D movies, especially earlier on where it's always things trying to pop out at you. But um, yeah, I liked it at the time. Uh, like I said, I was excited for the idea of it as a sort of emulation of what comic books do. 
I looked at my review and I think my review, although generally positive, was a lot similar to these where it's like, hey, sure, it gets the job done. It's fun. And it's really just, though, another cog in this Marvel machine. And I, I kind of still feel that way. Although, as we've said, it's gotten so tiresome that there is something a bit refreshing about this that actually seems a little more self-contained than a lot of other Marvel right. movies these days. Now, how many comparisons did you have with this to the man who shot Liberty Valance? Uh, <laughs> that's a great movie, <laughs> but uh, no, I know, but you wouldn't. Uh, you understand my. Point. I understand you I'm are mocking Leo Scott for his giving him a good ribbing. Yes, yes uh, exactly. Uh, that's a witty banter that you see between Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. It's me and A.O. Scott right there. I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, did you, I assume you saw this in the theater too. Sure, yeah. And I, I've never been big into superhero movies, even long before any of this. And I didn't see all of them pre-Avengers. I'd seen, of course, Iron Man 1 and 2 and a couple of the others. But this was like when I kind of, they got me. And from here on, I was like, yeah, I guess I'll see them all. Yeah, the outlier that would be to go back and watch the Hulk at this point in time because it wasn't great. I remember that, and like Edward Norton, it would be interesting to like just revisit that movie. At the, and is that where we first met uh, Natasha Romanoff? Was no, that first? no, she's not in that one. She started in Iron Man Two, I believe. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it would be interesting to see because. You know, that that even when it came out, people were like, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, it did. That was definitely not reviewed that well. And I think that was a point where people were like, maybe this Marvel Universe thing isn't going to work out as well as they want it to. And then, you know, it kind of turned around with Thor and Captain America. Um, I don't know if that's the right order, but um, still, it was just kind of a misstep. And then I think once they got him in the Avengers and they got Mark Ruffalo, people were back on board with the Hulk as a character. I, I think so. Uh, although uh, the Eric Bana Hulk has his own uh, following. I'd it say. does indeed. The Ang Lee film, which is one of the pre-MCU films. And that's a whole giant topic that we could not have time to get into. The whole pre-MCU Marvel superhero movie, um, you know, oeuvre. Ang Lee, director of Life of Pi, best what? visual effects winner from 2012. Revenge for boom, the boom. treatment of his Hulk movie. Yes. <laughs> Dropping my mic right now. Way See you go. next episode. Way to go. So, I mean, this is one of those movies like Star Wars that we could talk for, you know, a whole season about. But is there anything else specific about the background on this film you want to talk about, Jason? Uh, well, look, we mentioned Josh, Josh Whedon, Joss Whedon, who I am. I still allowed to mention him, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about like people who have been uh, canceled or however you want to call it. And uh Hey, he was very successful at the time. That was why he was hired to make this movie. Yeah, and it's interesting because most of the people we've talked about for being canceled have been for like uh, sexual abuse or types or assaults. And Joss Whedon just seems like a huge asshole. Like, yes. uh, he, he's just like, you're being canceled for being a big dick, Whedon. I mean, so. there are there are certain sort of uh, stories. I mean, we don't need to get on all of this, but some of it does have a sexual harassment component, let's say. Um, oh, OK. But but also, yes, just being an asshole to people in a non-sexual way as well. <laughs> so what I was going to say is um, Joss Whedon uh, rewrote the script from Zach Penn. Uh, which, of course, he trashed. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say Zach Penn, uh, he did a thing before Joss. He did, and did he's it. credited with the story here, and and Whedon is credited with the screenplay. 
And uh, of course, you know, Whedon was mainly a TV guy. He uh, came into this being known for creating Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and Firefly, which was kind of a cult thing. And then the first film he directed was Serenity, which was the film spinoff of Firefly. Uh, he'd also done a TV show called Dollhouse before this, which is another cult thing. And so this was seemingly maybe this big leap for him from that TV stuff into these big blockbuster films. And it, you know, it didn't last all that long. But, but uh, you know, it's it, the dialogue and, you know, the world building, like it's a perfect project for him. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have sort of, in addition to his uh, being a dick, um, there's been a lot of retroactive reassessment of his style as a writer and that quippy dialogue that a lot of people really dislike, I think now, um, or maybe are more vocal about disliking. But I still think regardless of his personal behavior, I still really like his writing style. And I really like the, the quippiness here. I think part of the problem is that just so many people started to emulate it, and a lot of them very poorly, that it, it lost some of its luster. Yeah, you see that with all the big comedy writers, right, over time, right? There was, everyone was trying to write Woody Allen movies, everyone was trying to write Judd Apatow movies, and you're like, and then it loses its luster back on those originals at that point. Right, and I so. think that's a lot of what's happened to him. So we'll then come back in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on The Avengers. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this season premiere of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about box office champion The Avengers. Oh, you know, a little movie that's uh, got its its following. So I feel like we've, you know, we've we've gotten to some juggernauts here. We've talked about Star Wars movies, and and this is probably other than those, you know, the biggest kind of massive pop culture juggernaut. I feel like that we've covered. Well, especially with everything that's come after it, yes. you know, the the entire, like you said, everyone's building a universe now. You can't just have one nice movie and move on. With no, your life. no, you can't. Um, what I wanted to start with, Josh, is Scarlett Johansson, because there's so much like machismo and, you know, like a lot of big macho men here. And uh, and. You know, I saw this quote from her where it was like, I was never the girl. I was like an equal. And that's that's how I went in and did it. And that's how we, everyone treated me. And it really comes off that way. She like she kicks ass in this movie. She does. And I think, you know, going back to what we were just talking about with Joss Whedon, I think one of the criticisms that he gets from people writing wise is that he writes these female characters in this sort of like faux empowering way that can actually be objectifying. And I was wondering going into this the second time, would I feel that way about the way she's portrayed? And I really didn't. I mean, you know, maybe in that opening scene where she's being interrogated by these Russians that she's really, you know, kind of got the upper hand, but they don't realize it. She's dressed sort of scantily. But the idea is that, again, she's she's undermined them by making them expect her to be weak or whatever. So I didn't find that bothersome at all. And beyond that scene, she's not, I didn't think, really objectified at all. And she is a really powerful character in this film. And it doesn't take time to say like, oh, she's a powerful woman. She's just there with them. And we- Right, we she's an Avenger. Right, exactly. So I agree with you. I think she's she's really good here and the character is handled well. And, you know, when you're looking at it, like, I think, you know, going forward, 
I kind of I like the Wanda character and all the layers that are uh, you know on that character. But then you get to like Captain Marvel, and you're like, this is this needs a rewrite. Someone needs to punch this character up and give it some juice, give it some life, give it some some layers. There's nothing to that character except like. I can fly now. I'm in the 90s. I'm going to save the world. Like, so I do think, uh, and even if you look at Black Widow, the movie Black Widow, uh, I think that was a much less effective, and this could be part of that Marvel fatigue, like version of this character than we had seen before. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you on Captain Marvel in that she's a bit bland. I feel like it's less about her being a female character and more just... I feel like a lot of these Marvel things are characters are a bit bland as time has gone on. But I felt like the Black Widow movie was a pretty effective character study for her. That the biggest problem I had with the Black Widow movie was that it stopped being that grounded character driven thing and had to have a giant end of the world climax with all the action and and the special effects like you were saying that have somehow gotten worse. I think. When you think of the Black Widow movie, you think of Black Widow as the third or fourth most important character in that movie, though. I, I, I mean, I, you can argue that I didn't feel that way when I was watching it. But but let's get back to the Avengers. Well, no, I mean, but this is the thing with uh, everything leads into this, true, right? Like, true. It's a uh, it's this, you know, fanboy nerddom that you can't just look at it and be like, um, like Thor here ha- is quippy and fun, but still like powerful not just like comedy dude Thor, which is what he turns into in the last movie. Right, right. So. right. I mean, they definitely made a big switch in how he's portrayed once Taika Waititi came in and took over those movies. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 bound to be, as as powerful as Kevin Feige is, there is bound to be levels of inconsistency. And again, I feel like for me maybe, and for, you know, for obviously many, many other people who are also these long-term comic book readers, that's baked in. Like you read decades of stories about any of these characters written by dozens and dozens of people, drawn by dozens and dozens of people. There are wildly different interpretations of any Marvel character, any DC character um, who has gone on for a long period of time. And that's just kind of the way it is. I honestly wish that Marvel was more willing to be completely uh, inconsistent and allow a serious character to be in a comedy thing and allow a comedy character to be in a serious thing. And because the, the, the range of kinds of stories, even within a superhero universe, I think is one of the big strengths of the comic books. And that's not something that the movies and TV shows have really done. Mm, that's interesting. Cause I think like, you know, I don't know what phase are we in phase four now of no, Marvel? I think we're now on to phase five. Phase five. Wow. Okay. So like, you know, again, maybe this is legacy stuff, but they they did a really good job of like kind of ending the Steve Rogers story. And now we can get a new Captain America. And I think people will accept that. But I don't think they've done like, I mean, I being the next Iron Man is going to be really, really tough because you are not that you don't think of, you know, Chris over there for um, Captain America, but Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. He made that character so definitive. And like you said, Marvel kind of has let that be the stamp. Like, I don't know where you can go from there with that. Right. And I mean, this is all stuff that they are going to have to figure out over time. Um, But I think in this movie, we're seeing the beginnings of what this could be in a fun way, in an exciting way. You watch this movie and I think 
you get the impression of all the possibilities here. This was the sixth movie. This was really the first one with any kind of significant team up of these characters. And I think it it it's fun to watch. And like it is actually, even though it does set up stuff, I mean, it has the post-credit scene as these movies always do. And we've got Thanos there who uh, people, I think at the time, probably a lot of them didn't know who he was, but he's obviously some big menacing figure that's been pulling the strings and is going to keep doing stuff later. Not everything is resolved, but I think within the context of the specific story that's being told here, this feels to me a lot more self-contained than a lot of other Marvel movies and that I was even necessarily remembering. And I think it's a satisfying like action thing on its own. Yeah, the biggest issues, like I said, are you don't feel like the the heroes are ever in peril. Right. You know, sure. And there's a lot of like I was watching and I'm like, oh, Tony Stark's going to take this nuclear weapon up into the uh, center of this. I, I remember that from Independence Day. That was cool. You know, not to <laughs> say that they're the only one to ever do this, but there was a lot of like beats that we've seen done in other movies a lot of the time. And like I said, that said, I like this movie. I'm glad I watched it again. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like the the, the specific plot stuff here is not groundbreaking you know we we use loki again who we just saw we've got an alien invasion from a bunch of of faceless aliens like the chitari are never distinctive in any way we don't learn anything about them they're just kind of fodder for the heroes to fight it is a bit of a generic we better save the world kind of story and there's a whole like i'm loki i'm going to be god king but also I'm not in charge of this whole thing like someone else's, right? Right. Someone's and we never, strings. Yeah, and we don't really get to that ever either. No, that's very much the kicking it down the road kind of thing. That Thanos is pulling the strings or whatever, but we don't know who he is or why he's doing it, and we won't find out for like years. Right. Uh Josh, yeah, it would have been interesting, you know, I'm thinking about this now if they did let I mean, but it, you know, it's it's Whedon with two and the Russo brothers with two, right? So it's sure. not like it's not like the Harry Potter series where you get further along the line and you're getting these like distinct changes of tone and directorial styles. Right. Well, with the Harry Potter series, it's the opposite. Further down the line, you lose that. Early on, you get that. I mean, I think it's similar to like the Mission Impossible series, where early on we have all these distinctive directors coming in with their visions and then they lock into someone who does just kind of the same stuff. And that was what Harry Potter did as well with David Yates. So yeah, Marvel hasn't done that. I mean, even with the Avengers, not with the Avengers movies, but not necessarily with Marvel as a whole, you know, certain directors stick with maybe a particular character, but Marvel, the MCU as a whole has got a a huge number of different filmmakers. Yes, I get that. But I'm saying, but there is a feel of a, a a conglomeration of one overall Feige style. Well, yes, right? that, you know? and that is often the problem that all of those people, no matter who they hire and how distinctive a filmmaker that person may be, it's all Feige. And I think you get that here with Whedon is that if you've watched his TV shows, yeah, some of that quippy style of writing comes through, but directorially, there's not anything particularly distinctive here. It's all effective. It's a good action movie, but it's not. there's not much personality to it. And, you know, something else that Whedon was big on is very self-aware, self-reflective, meta kind of stuff. And I mean, he this was coming off of the release of The Cabin in the Woods that he wrote or co-wrote and produced. And there's not any of that here. I mean, you'd have to wait all the way until She-Hulk for Marvel to really get it, 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 like self-reflexive that way at all. You had mentioned that this is like the first big team up. Yeah. Right. 
But after this, I felt like, even, am I wrong in all? There's so many, they all kind of run together, right? You're getting more of these characters in each other's single movies after this. So they're all losing distinct personalities. Not to say like one couldn't be in the other here or there, but they all feel like they're just another Avengers movie after this one. Absolutely. And I think that was the thing here is that, yeah, there were cameos or whatever, but the five movies leading up to this were five single hero adventures. And now the heroes came together. And I think at the time, maybe I was imagining that that was how things would go. We have the heroes coming together in this Avengers movie. Now we'll have a bunch more solo adventures, including some new heroes that we haven't seen before. And yes. then in, a, in you know five more years or something, they'll they'll come together again and it'll be a big deal. And that yeah. was just not what happened at all because Marvel was so greedy. That it was like, every movie has to be as big a deal as this. If I may, <laughs> this is why I love the Ant-Man movies. And not the, at the time of recording, we got one coming out in a couple of weeks, which looks like it's going to totally buck that trend completely. Yeah, you're going to be so disappointed in that one. I, I am so sure. But those first two Ant-Man movies are so much fun because they're just a solo little adventure it's funny because like i i like those movies a lot too um but it is funny because you know as uh film nerds uh, and we're not the worst of the bunch you <laughs> big nerds uh but like remember how how angry everyone was when edgar wright got let go from ant-man and then it was like oh it's just gonna be another one that fits right in and then like peyton reed did a great job and like yeah they do fight kind of have their they do fit in just, but they're just Ant-Man and Wasp and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing uh, going back to what we were just saying, like Edgar Wright is too distinctive and people like that, if they can't play along with what Kevin Feige wants, they're not going to fit in. And that's not to say that those Ant-Man movies aren't good. I think they are. I enjoy them too, but I think you have to be within a very narrow range. And, but I'm with you, Dave. I think any of these Marvel things that are more self-contained that are more smaller scale or whatever. I mean, I liked Werewolf by Night a lot, for example, more recently. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's it's the exception. Most of these movies are now yeah. burdened with so many extraneous things to set up and to include that it's all just one big blob. Yeah, you can they are taking a little more risks on the TV projects, right? Like yeah, not some. just Werewolf by Night. Like like I, I loved Hawkeye, the TV show, and you could be like, "Oh, well, that kind of fits in," uh, but like it was just a six-part Christmas movie, and they really captured that like spirit of New York Christmas time thing. So, um, you know, and I think each of them are, you know, WandaVision was just a wild romp through, whether you loved it or just like what the heck, right? Like it was like, hey, we're gonna do a different style for each one of these episodes until like the last three, and then there was, it became a Marvel. Yeah, movie, I mean, so. I think there's 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 a range of experimentation, but it's still there. And, and I think, you know, it starts here. So I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting far afield here still from this movie itself, which All is right, I'll, I'll bring movie. it back, Josh. Yes. This was one of my favorite post credit scenes ever. The, uh, the shawarma where they're just sitting and eating, which they filmed while the movie was still was like 11 days from being released and whatnot. But I just thought that was a lovely, great, gag and show that they didn't take themselves too seriously and they just nailed the joke and everyone uh was really funny um just expressively in that scene right i i do like that and it is like set up um i mean i don't know because they shot it so late like you said if they were intending for it to be there but you either way we get that moment of tony stark when it does seem like he's 
I don't know, not probably not going to die, but he's severely injured and he's hanging on and he says something about how he wanted to go get shawarma. And so it is a, a nice little, again, a character moment that within these giant action scenes, within these giant battles, it is a way to emphasize that these people are becoming a team, that they're becoming friends. And, you know, that's kind of silly and sappy, but but Whedon handles it well. Again, the the balance between the banter and the emotions where you can tell these people are bonding. These are characters who, again, we take for granted now that they all know each other, but they don't as of this film, really. And so Banner and Stark are becoming, you know, connecting over their science interests and stuff like that. And it works. Okay. And what did you think of Loki for this one? I mean, I, like I said, I think I appreciated it a little more this time because having seen so many of these crappy villains, I like that, hey, here's a guy who I know is entertaining to watch because he was already in that last movie and I have a bit of a sense of who he is. He doesn't feel like as sort of galactic a threat or whatever as is maybe necessary for this end of the world thing, even with his big alien Chitauri army, because until that big battle, we only have a very vague sense of what threat they pose. He's like, I have an army. And we're like, okay, but what exactly is that? Oh yeah. And they're not a good army. Right. They do. They do fail. Like they get beaten by like six random people, but um, that has to happen. It's a, it's a superhero movie, but no, I mean, I agree. And I don't know what discussions there were about, who the villain could have been if they were thinking of another villain. I mean, certainly not any of the villains from the other Marvel movies before this would have worked, but I don't know if they were thinking of a new villain, whether that's Thanos or someone else that they could have brought in here. And I don't know if that would have been better, but I think Tom Hiddleston, as he's proven in multiple performances since, is so charismatic and fun as Loki that even if the motivations are thin or whatever when he shows up and gives speeches or says silly lines like it's entertaining. Yeah, I agree with that. But Thanos is the best villain in this thing. <laughs> I mean, but agree? Thanos destroys half the universe. Like you kind of oh, got to build so to good. it. Yeah, no, I get that. You couldn't <laughs> start here, but I do think of like of all the villains, probably in, in any of the uh, Marvel and in the MCU, he's probably the one that is the most uh, threatening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like you can't get more threatening than, again, like killing, killing half, half the, the world. Universe. Yeah. yeah. Well, not even killing, just like disappearing or erasing right, or whatever right. it is. Right. I mean, what, what he at the time, I think, viewed as killing. And then, of course, we get to undo that. But um, which is a bummer. Think of how cool that could have been if they didn't undo that. Yeah. But you know that they were going to. Um, of course. But yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I think Thanos is certainly the most threatening villain, although I think Loki might be the most entertaining villain. I, you know, I'd have to look through the whole list again, but he's up there if he's not the most. Yeah, I'd have to look through again as well. But um, it's it it's an interesting episode because I think of all the episodes we've done, this is the you're saying this is a contained story, but it's the hardest conversation to contain because the whole universe just runs together as one at this point. Right. That's yeah. true. I mean, I think the closest to that is Star Wars, but even Star Wars was so uh, the first three were, you know, their, right. Their it was thing, its own yeah. thing. And different tones, those first three. Yeah. But, you know, this does establish that tone also, right? And I think that's the thing we were talking about with Whedon is that not only sort of unrelated filmmakers, but I think Marvel too was like, hey, here's our deal. This is the kind of thing that we want for all of our movies. We want quips and witty banter with the action. We've got humor and we've got glibness and then it can, you know, and it ends up going too far. Like, for example, I think in the recent Thor movie, where it feels too jokey at times that it should be serious and things like that. But 
this is the movie where they're like, here's how we're doing things. So what did you think of uh, Agent Coulson and his big death moment? Did you feel the emotion from that, that that's kind of uh, meant to drive the Avengers? I mean, I was, you know, I was trying to think back, like at the end, does he does he come back and like, do they revive him? In, oh, yeah, he in had his next... own TV series that ran for right. seven seasons. Right. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yes. and everything like yes. that. I just like I said, I don't remember what comes before and what comes after. Like, you know, Coulson and Maria Hill, um, you know, Clark Gregg and uh, Colby Smulders, they're fun. They're fun. They're like the office workers, right? right. <laughs> you know, like they, they make sure that all the paperwork is done and they're just kind of like with Nick Fury who, you know, actually did more than just like observe and have two scenes in this thing. It's fine. I don't think you needed it at that point in time because we already had enough going on, but it didn't, it didn't affect me one way or the other. Josh. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I like him as a character and I watched some number of seasons of that show. Um, and I think Clark Gregg is good in that role, but I do think they sort of overemphasize the idea that it would, you know, shake these people to their core. And I mean, I think Tony Stark knows him a bit and Thor because he's in the Thor movie. But I feel like his connection to all these people is exaggerated in order like that they would be oh, so shaken by his death, as opposed to all the random background people that had already died. Right. No one else on the uh, aircraft carrier were like they, they had never interacted with them. No, they're not important. No, but who cares that they died? It's not it doesn't matter. <laughs> How about the action? What did you think of the action? It's good. I mean, we knew this going in, you know, they're always good, right? There were, you would say three big sequences, but the last hour is one of those sequences, you know, and, and that, that really became, uh, I think, you know, sorry to keep bringing up Thanos, but when we get to, uh, was it Endgame or uh, which one where they like had the, the war on the war? Yeah, I think like, that's an Endgame. That's the big finale because everybody comes back. From right. And I <laughs> And I think that's where like it like this is all putting those blueprints together to get to like those action sequences that really do last for an hour with stakes. And you're like, let me get into that ride right there. But right. We get we get the like you said, the the battle of Germany in the beginning, you know, some other fun stuff. We get the aircraft carrier escape. And then we get this battle of New York at the end, right? Right. Those are the, the big ones, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, we have the very, very beginning is is sort of the collapse of the shield facility or whatever with the the Tesseract that uh is the thingy, the the MacGuffin that that Loki is after. Yeah, which really is um, you know, it's like uh, they they put a lot of importance on it without it really feeling that important. Yeah, I mean, and then again to go to later on, it turns out to be one of the infinity stones and blah, blah, blah. Um, this is all a very comic booky thing. So I feel like I'm easier to just like move past those things, but meanwhile, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so Dave, do you have anything about this movie that you particularly like or, or dislike? I mean, the only thing I would add that we didn't talk about is, uh, the individual like fights between particular Avengers. There's like a lot of really good moments there iron man and thor fighting like you're talking about earlier about like the cgi getting worse as these movies have gone on i think the fight scenes probably have gotten worse too yeah. but they're really good and really fun here yeah that's a good point right yeah and like i said i think it's nice that we get those scenes where we can have the heroes fight each other and you know the 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 sort of cool kid thing of like oh, could Iron Man beat up Thor or whatever that yeah. you want to see in a movie like this and that we don't see as much in the later movies and we get that here and I think that's fun to watch. 
Good point, Dave. Yes, thank Not you. Bad. So uh, should we rate this thing, Josh? Yeah, let's do it. Out of five tesseracts. Sure, or uh, out of five individual, five individual stories that will lead into group stories. Yeah, exactly. We go back to individual stories; they'll still be group stories. I think we need so. to rate it out of like twenty-five stars or something there because they're all going to add up. So, yes. All right. How would you rate this, Jason? I gave it three and a half. It's fun. I mean, like, I, like I said, like you know, sometimes we kind of like nitpick it here and there on this show, and that's our. That's our job. That's what we get paid for by the sponsors, you know? So, um, but, um, but I like this one. It gets three and a half and I just watched it and uh, I'd be happy to watch it again. Not too long from now. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I hadn't seen it since it was in the theater. I never really watched these movies more than once. This is only the second one that I've ever watched a second time, but I, what was the other one? Uh, it was Black Panther, the original Black Panther, and only because I had an article to write about something and I had to go see it again in the theater. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have. So yeah, these to me, these movies are the kind of movie where you watch it once and you're like, yeah, it was fun. And then you don't really think about it afterwards. So, but I give it a three and a half as well. I was a little skeptical going in and I thought it held up pretty well. I enjoyed it just as much this time as before. So uh, Dave, how would you rate it? I was also going to go three and a half, but I ended up raising it to four just because like a lot of them are three and a half and it's better than a lot of them. So, you know, that's fair. That is fair. I'm Maybe sure that- you should reevaluate a lot of them instead of this <laughs> yeah, one. Sure. Yeah, that, that is true. I feel like I rate a lot of these, like, like the three is the baseline for the majority of these movies, but I mean, that's pretty good as a base. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there is a narrow range of quality for these films, which means that a lot of that very few of them are great, but also very few of them are terrible. So yeah, that's okay. Mm, maybe we could talk about which ones are great and which ones are terrible coming up. We can. We'll come back and talk about the legacy of the Avengers. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about the box office champion the Avengers. And of course, the main legacy of this film is the destruction of cinema. (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Josh, for bringing that up. I was going to have Martin Scorsese (laughs) and Steven Spielberg and of course, Aubrey Plaza guest star today. But I think um, we have uh, made the point for them. Although you wouldn't say that at this point in time, you would say that, hey, they built this cool universe with these individual stories. And now this is... um, a really logical next step and they executed it well. Right, right. That's what you would say at the time. But the legacy of that is that it was so successful and Marvel like doubled down on it. Like I said, they didn't go from this to more standalone stories that would then eventually team up down the road. Everything became a crossover constantly and everyone else wanted to, to copy that. And superheroes and universes became the thing that is like the defines blockbuster cinema i think that's why like you know especially when uh we talk about these movies sometimes we talk about them on like uh the piecing it together preview episodes because there are so many uh different superhero movies always coming out so like it's like what do you gravitate to to and that's why i think i gravitate towards like logan which is dark and totally different or deadpool which kind of really amped up the uh the the r rating and the, the the quippiness that you mentioned here but something that has like its own feel to it 
Right. And and we'll see how that goes now that those things are going to be subsumed by the MCU. Those are both non-MCU movies that now Deadpool 3 is going to be part of the MCU and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is going to appear in it. So, you know, we'll see how those movies go. Those characters are treated now that they're under the the thumb of Kevin Feige. But mm. yeah, and, and we're not like I think Kevin Feige's done a great job overall. Oh, yeah, he has. And I think, again, part of the problem is that Kevin Feige has done so well with this stuff that everyone just wants to do exactly what he's done. And it makes things too homogenous. I mean, at the same time, like you mentioned, you know, property that wasn't a part of it that came in. Spider-Man was terrible before it came into here. And like he totally um revive that pri- property and like now spider-man is uh, uh a just avenger josh right right i mean yes spider-man was terrible immediately before being brought into the mcu but before that was it was great. good yeah yeah so true. it varies and i think part of the thing is that like there's less of a chance for these things to vary and for individual filmmakers to bring visions to them so josh uh favorite and least favorite of the mcu that you can just roll off. You know, going going into this, I might have said that this was my favorite movie of the MCU because it does that it, it delivers on the promise of that like cool heroes teaming up with each other. And I don't know if I would necessarily say that. I, I do really enjoy I I mean I remember enjoying uh Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh yeah, it's great. Those, That's you know, might be what a good surprise, story. right? What a yeah. good surprise. And I think again, that's another James Gunn's style, which is similar to Joss Whedon's style, has sort of overtaken a lot of these other films, but but I did enjoy those. Um, I mean, not to be like obvious, but I do think Eternals is probably the worst one. That that was a case where they actually probably did let Chloe Zhao bring more of her style than other filmmakers, and it was just the wrong fit for this. What is your favorite and least favorite? No, I agree. I like the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I actually really enjoyed their Christmas special that was just out this past year. Did you watch that? That I haven't watched. I did the TV stuff I haven't kept up with as much. I've seen all of the feature films. And before this, I, I did go back and watch like the first episodes of a bunch of the TV shows that I had not seen yet, but I didn't watch the Guardians holiday special yet. Yeah, you and I both did that because, you know, the premiere episode of Loki literally takes place like minutes after this movie ends, right? Right. And I was so angry at the first scene of Loki because it's like you just made me go through this whole Avengers thing. And now like three minutes later, these idiots are like fighting with each other. And now um, they let Loki get away. And that feels like that felt unjust to me. Like it wasn't uh, earned. But then the rest of the pilot was so good. I was like, okay, I'm cool with this. Like I I, I haven't watched that whole one. I have watched a lot of them. Like I said, Hawkeye I've watched and WandaVision and probably some others that I'm not remembering. But yeah, no, I also like um, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I I, like I've already said those those two Thanos. Avengers are my favorites. Uh, so I would probably say that. And then um, Spider-Man Homecoming is really good also. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I might I might put the, that first Spider-Man movie, the first MCU Spider-Man movie up there really high as well, even though it right. does also suffer from some of the like crossoveriness that is unnecessary with all of the Tony Stark stuff in it. But I, I think they had to do that or they did that because they needed to give this character some juice after the low point. And like, but what made it, really good was not really that i mean and and uh 
he's really good as Spider-Man, but like the villains, like you had Michael Keaton as the villain in the first one. And that really, you can sink your teeth into. I haven't seen Eternals, but I really, really dislike uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I don't know. I thought Captain Marvel was fine. I mean, I agree that maybe she's she's a slightly bland character, but I thought the movie was no worse than many other Marvel movies. So, Dave, we know your favorites are the Ant-Man movies. Which are great. Yeah. Yeah. The Ant-Man movies, also the first Iron Man is, I mean, it's it's so freaking good still. Um, Well, then again, I haven't rewatched any of these movies, so who knows? But I have a feeling it would still hold up. But uh, worst, if it's not the two that you guys mentioned, because I agree both of those are awful, it would probably be the most recent Thor, which is just unbelievably bad which jason really liked i think right jason i think if i rewatched it i i don't know why i liked it so much because i didn't like the ragnarok before it That's so weird. i like yeah. that one i know i probably wouldn't like it as much i don't know what happened that one got away from me so <laughs> i mean it's got fine. away from you, you like in like that it, you liked it you know <laughs> yeah i got away from me <laughs> so, i think we need to see i think we definitely need to see more like more female lead stronger marvel movies I think they've done a better job on TV with the female leads than they have in the uh, standalone stories. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I think obviously I like the Black Widow movie and the Captain Marvel movie more than you did, but neither of them are necessarily great. And that's really all that they've given us in that realm in terms of those female lead films. So I, I hope for the future that they will come up with something better. I mean, for for many, many years, uh, Ike Perlmutter, who was the CEO of Marvel and still I think is one of Disney's biggest stockholders is this very, very conservative guy who would not allow Marvel to make movies with lead characters that were not white men. And so yeah. they didn't have the chance to deliver not as many the of best, them. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So but um the wasp is good. Yeah, yeah. She's a fun character. And I don't know if she'll get a chance to have her own movie beyond the Ant-Man stuff, but I'd watch it. Uh, they all just feel like they're, you know, they're they just all blend together. Then to me, at this they point, do. In time, is so. the Marvels a movie that's happening this year? Yeah, the Marvels is coming out this year. I think that's the next one. That's the third one this year. Uh, it's yeah. Ant Man, and then Guardians Three, and then the Marvels. Right, this year. right. Yeah. And that's female fronted. Though, yeah, that's Marvels, Captain right? Marvel and yeah. Ms. Marvel and um, whatever they're calling that the Monica Rambo character who was in right. WandaVision. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the three of them teaming up together. Meh. <laughs> but I mean, I think the other thing, Jason, as you were talking about with Loki, like this movie is such a defining moment, not only like as for like from a, a sort of business plan standpoint, but storytelling wise that so many things still return to the events of this movie, whether it's Avengers Endgame where they time travel back to the events in this movie or Loki that sort of kicks off because of those time travel events or, you know, Hawkeye, which you like so much. And I did just watch the first episode of that and the opening flashback with Kate Bishop, the Haley Steinfeld character, sort of her defining moment as a child takes place during the battle of New York from the Avengers. You, Jason, suggested a uh, an episode of the animated what if show that is i suggest let me just clarify i suggested it because it relates so much to this yes and it does and had i known how bad it was i probably wouldn't have suggested it. and i agree with you i think i mean to the point of this movie being so formative and that you know it does it it re sort of contextualizes the events or whatever but yeah it was awful i don't know i haven't i haven't watched the rest of that show but my my thesis about Marvel stuff being generally like a narrow range of quality, I don't know. That might throw it off. It was animation was so like hideous looking. It was. I mean, the storytelling was boring. That too. too. It was the, yes. the the idea. The one we watched is 
uh, what if the mightiest superheroes in the world never teamed up and they all get murdered? And it, it's a very boring episode with a very boring uh, ending. Right. I mean, I think it's like it set up, up as if it's a murder mystery. And then the solution is just sort of random and out of nowhere and related to a bunch of stuff that we never even knew about before. So, um, yeah. So, Josh, uh, Josh Whedon, is mm, he uh, is mm. he coming back ever? I I mean, I, I feel like. It, I hesitate to say that about literally anyone unless perhaps they're in prison because of the way that Hollywood works. And even then, if they get out. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like, okay, so like, uh, I mean, super talented guy, right? Like, uh, he didn't do himself any favors, like when he just um, uh, trashed everyone in the Justice League, right? right? Like, he's not looking to rehabilitate his image. He's looking to double down on it, yes. it feels like. Yeah, I think that is one of the big problems is that he doesn't seem to have any remorse about anything. And even though a lot of times these apologies from people seem disingenuous, at least they're aware that they should try to apologize. <laughs> and he definitely has not done that. But I mean, for a while, like legacy wise from this movie, he was still riding high. I mean, he wrote and directed Avengers Age of Ultron, which was the second Avengers movie. And when DC was having trouble with Justice League, whatever your thoughts are on Zack Snyder, clearly the studio thought that the movie wasn't working. And who did they bring in to save it was Joss Whedon, who did rewrites and directed reshoots and all that. Um, following on from this, he was the creator of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, even though he wasn't like involved with the day-to-day -day running of it. But it was a big deal, like, oh, Joss Whedon is creating the first Marvel TV show and all that stuff. So it was a while of him being this big, big geek culture figure until this downfall. Did you just really have to emphasize that Zack Snyder thing for for one listener, Josh. Was that what you did there? I mean, there is one in particular, but but Zack Snyder has has a lot of devoted fans and more than just yeah. one. All right. Well, look, we, we know how big all these stars are. So I'm going to just say, um, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be an Oppenheimer, um, which I'm excited about the uh, new movie from Christopher Nolan. Uh, Chris Evans is going to be in Red One, that giant Christmas movie with him in The Rock. Like all these guys are doing, you know, huge things. Mark Ruffalo is going to be in Yorgos Lanthimos' new movie and Bong Joon-ho's new movie. So like, that's, that's pretty cool. And Chris right? Evans was in a Bong Joon-ho movie. He was in Snowpiercer. I know. Yeah. And I, I think it only got made because of his attachment to it. If I, Or maybe that's not true. Chris Hemsworth, Josh, out of all of them, though. The Hulk Hogan movie, an Avengers movie, the Furiosa movie, and Extraction 2. <laughs> yeah, I so. mean, a lot of these people, I think, are really, it's a tough balancing act for any big star at this point where they have to do all of these big franchisey stuff. I mean, obviously, all these people continue to be in Marvel movies, but other franchises as well, whether that's Chris Evans in like The Gray Man or Chris Hemsworth in those Extraction movies or his failed reboot of the men in black movies you know mark ruffalo is in the now you see me movies and he was in the adam project and all, all but, this stuff but now you see me like that's a good example because that's just like a fun movie they couldn't have ever known that was going to franchise out right like that's just like oh this could be a cool project to do for a bunch of magicians who heist people i would dispute your characterization of that movie as fun but, okay. um, but you know, no, you're not wrong that that was probably not expected to be a major franchise. But Okay, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we know Scarlett Johansson's in Asteroid City, the new 
the new Bombag movie and uh, get well soon, Jeremy Renner. Right, Josh? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. all of them do. I feel like Scarlett Johansson is the one who's made the most effort to do these kind of auteur uh, projects. I think Mark Ruffalo, I mean, look, at I just mentioned he's in Bomb Juno and you're true, true. Those, those are coming movie. up. Yeah, no, I'll give him that credit. I mean, and he's done like, Foxcatcher and Spotlight and Dark Waters, very serious, like sort of social commentary films. But um, yeah, I mean, I think with like Under the Skin and Marriage Story and her, I definitely think Scarlett Johansson is, you know, branched out. And but man, Robert Downey Jr. So in since the release of The Avengers, he has only starred in two non-Marvel movies. Like he barely has a career other than playing Iron Man. I, I think. That's not going to be the case at all, though. He's so good and so charismatic, and he was always so talented. Like, you know, whether he was uh, on drugs or after recovery, like, he's always so good in everything. Like, it's just a matter of when he wants to pick and choose and what he wants to pick and choose. I mean, I'm sure he has his choice, but it's that's why, to me, it seemed like he chose to not bother with anything else. Like, he's got the Iron Man money, so why do anything? Well, I mean, I would I would have said the same thing about Samuel L. Jackson for a while, but now you know he'll be in Barry Jenkins' new movie. He was just in uh, Ptolemy Gray. Oh yeah, he was last year. Yeah, right, exactly. These guys have the talent. I feel like they're like, yo, let me zap that money for ten years, and then I'll be able to do whatever I want. He's also in the new Matthew Vaughn movie. So like, all these guys, Matthew Vaughn, uh, noted non blockbuster <laughs> tour. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and Robert Downey Jr. is doing a, a mini series with Park Chan Wook right now, so hopefully he's getting back into. That oh story. my God, that's gonna like you just you're speaking to me at this. I'm point really excited about Robert Downey Jr. post Marvel. Like, it, I think it, there's going to be a lot of great stuff. I hope I really so. Do. And in a way, it's probably good that Doolittle was such a massive failure because otherwise he'd just be doing Doolittle two and Doolittle three and just keep going. <laughs> sure. What was it? What, Sherlock Holmes was the other one. Or yeah, what? although those Sherlock Holmes movies, I thought that too, but they were all prior to the Avengers. There hasn't been another one since then. I mean, I love uh, Tropic Thunder. I loved him in Chaplin. And he did take like uh, some big risks back in the day, back you know? Then, so maybe, yeah. we'll get, but, maybe we'll get that again. Right. So. We'll, we'll see about that. So the last important person I wanted to mention here is Polish filmmaker Jerzy Skolomowski, who yeah. appears as the Russian uh, baddie that Natasha Romanoff is being interrogated by and the legacy of this film of course is eo the film by jersey skolomowski from this year nice i really like that movie and man did it depress me at the end <laughs> i do just love that this like artsy polish filmmaker he has like 10 acting credits in his entire career and one of them is the avengers He's uh, he's like Werner Herzog, but not. Right, he kind of is. Where I mean, I I don't know how he ended up in this movie. If he was like Joss Whedon was like a fan of his, you know, artsy European films from the seventies or something, and tried to get him in this, I don't know. But I just think it's great that he's here. Well, Josh, we have covered most of this universe on our own today, so I think we've uh, we've done it uh, a fair service. Uh, awesome movie team assembled we did assemble and we did yeah we could obviously we could talk about marvel for there's you know we could do our whole podcast just about marvel stuff but i think we've given it a fair shake i think people do that they do we don't need to do it so that is the avengers and that is this episode of awesome movie year you can check us out online and on social media you sure can i'm jason harris comedy or jay harris comedy on all the socials 
My website, Go For Jason, was destroyed, but back just like that came eatthiscomedy.com, which is in its beta phase. You could look at it at the very moment that we that, are is discussing that this. Is phase one or phase four? Or? Uh, it's definitely phase one okay. at this moment. Yeah. But, um, it hasn't teamed up with uh, any other websites yet. You know, Josh, all I'm going to say is it's probably just a matter of time before one of these Eat This Comedy shows offers shawarma as a dish. Nice. So uh eat this comedy and the trivia party also on uh instagram don't forget awesomemovieyear.com awesome movie year on facebook and instagram awesome movie pod on twitter uh check out joshbellhateseverything.com or don't because there's really not much there anymore uh josh bell hates everything on facebook and at signal bleed on twitter and on letterboxd where there is more stuff so uh, also listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where I attempt to limit the amount of superhero posts, <laughs> uh, but I do a very bad and job. And one person will have a meltdown when you hear us about the comments of Joss Whedon saving another universe from a different filmmaker that... You know what I'm talking about. All right. About. We don't need to make a podcast for that one person. <laughs> Jason, what is in our next episode? Josh, we're going to the first feature. We've covered David Cronenberg, whose first feature was not in 2012, but son Brandon Cronenberg's was, and it is called Antiviral. So tune in next time for Antiviral, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. And now... If you're still listening after the credits, just picture us eating shawarma.